would also love to be able to answer any questions that maybe you would have as you're considering, you know, maybe learning a little bit more of Mercy Hill. Uh, and a very easy way of doing that is we have Connect cards that are right behind the pew. And you can actually fill that out, and you can put that in the offering basket, which will be uh, passed around right after our time of singing this morning. Uh, and we also have a kind of a mailbox, a uh, box that's attached to the wall next to the front door. You could drop that in as well. Give us an opportunity to follow up, answer any questions, uh, allow you to be connected into the ministry here at Mercy Hill. So, so glad that you're here with us. Well, church, just a couple of announcements this morning uh, as we are thinking about what's coming ahead. Uh, and first and foremost is our mission lunches. Uh, now, you may not know about our multiple mission lunches, but our first missions lunch is today. So if you are a guest with us, this is a wonderful Sunday. If you have time and would like to stick around after the service, we'd love for you to. Uh, but church, we are looking forward to this, having a time with the Windemeyers uh, right after church who are missionaries in Thailand, uh, just to be able to have a longer period of time to hear an update hear what God's doing uh, in their family, hear what God's doing there on the field. Uh, and so we are providing the lunches. So the youth put together bagged lunches yesterday uh, in order to be able to serve you so that after the service, we'll give more details on that. Uh, you'll be able to grab your lunch, and then we're going to actually come back in here uh, and to be able to eat our lunch and have time with the Windermeyers and also just to be able to pray with them. So we'd love for you to stick around if you can. Uh, for today's mission lunch. But if you looked in your bulletin, you'll actually see we have two more mission lunch coming up just for you to be able to plan. Uh, there, the dates are not on this bulletin, but we want you to know that we're excited about doing this. So we're excited about doing this for a couple of reasons. One, because we love mission. We love the missionaries that are in Thailand. We love the missionaries that went to Bolivia. And, and we want us just as a church to be unified around how you are serving them by the way that you pray, by the way that you serve, by the way that you uh, give. And we want to be unified in the mission that we're walking on. So September, we have the Bolivia team. Uh, we'll actually be doing an update on how God just used uh, them and just how God used those kiddos in their life as well. Uh, and then also about uh, Namibia Church in October. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? We're going to have multiple mission lunches uh, to be able to really stoke our own uh, just desire to pray and to see God move and save. Uh, so looking forward to each one of those. Well, I am not going to be giving specific information on what our class is going to be yet. You are going to next week find out uh, what our uh, fall semester Sunday school class is going to be on. Though for now, for planning purposes, we want to make sure it's on your calendar. Uh, so that is Labor Day weekend. So September 3rd will be our fall semester Sunday school uh, where we will be meeting in here. There's Sunday school for kids, a Sunday school for adults uh, to be able to have a time of studying God's Word together. So we'll give more information about that next week. Though for now, if you would, just consider putting that on your calendar so that you can plan to be able to come a little bit extra early uh, for Sunday school starting September 3rd. Wonderful. Well, let us approach the Lord in a time of singing through worship. So I would love to invite you to stand and worship team.
would you come up uh, this morning? Last week, we spent time as we considered God's Word to think through how our God is our strong defender. God is your strong defender. In spite of the enemy being very real. And this morning, as we consider God's Word here in Psalms 33 before we sing, I want you to consider His truth and hear His prayer. And would you allow this to be your prayer as you go into a time of singing and considering Him through song? Psalm 33, verse 20 to 22. Our Lord waits, our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Be glorified through our song this morning, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.
As we continue to worship in song, we want to also take the Lord's Supper together as a church. His ordinance that He has given us to be able to remember what He has done for you this morning. If you are a disciple of Christ this morning, He has this table for you. He has this table for you to take the bread and to take the cup and to remember Him and what He has accomplished for you. This table is not open to those who are perfect because none of you would come, including me. But this table is open to sinners who have seen their need for Jesus. And this meal is to remind you that your hope is in your Savior. This is how we will do this this morning. Here in a moment after I pray, we will make a line down the center aisle. Folks in the pews can just find their way into the line. Uh, folks in the side sanctuary, uh, if you would just make your way actually around the hallway and find your way coming down the center aisle. And as, as you walk, church, as you walk down the aisle, may you be aware of who is around you. I believe the Lord wants to encourage you this morning. You are not walking alone. You have a church family, fellow Christians, who are called to walk in a day when the enemy is present and who hold on to Christ. So as you walk down, be reminded and encouraged from the communal aspect of what communion offers us this morning. Well, let's just go before him in prayer. Lord, as we prepare to approach your table in obedience by taking communion this morning, we so desire to remember you and to commune with you. So Holy Spirit, would you draw our hearts to rest in you and commune with you. Lord, as we hold the bread this morning, would you bring a deep gratitude in our hearts for how you have given your body and you received the full wrath of God on our behalf. And as we hold this cup this morning, would you increase our hope and confidence in you? Because through your shed blood, our sins are forgiven, and we are sealed by Christ as a child of God. Commune with your people, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we will just take a time to come down the middle and take communion off to the side or back to your seats during these next two songs together.
Amen. Unending grace. Unending grace. Father, the best gift we could have ever received was salvation. And how good of a gift it is that we continue to walk in the grace that you give. And so we thank you, Father, for sending the Son. And Jesus, thank you for your obedience to the Father of taking upon our sin on that cross. And we thank you. We thank you for overcoming and beating the enemy of sin and the bondage. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for drawing our eyes to see our need for a Savior. Be glorified in all we do and say this morning. Continue to do your work in each of us, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Well, you may take your seats. Thank you, worship team, for serving us so well. Ushers, uh, if you can't hear me, you can go ahead and uh, pass the bags to collect our tithes and offerings. Uh, church, you know, we, we desire to pass these bags at this time after, after a time of singing. And if you are giving your tithe and offering here this morning, that you're reminded that this is not a duty, and it is worship. It is worship as we give our first fruits to the Lord. And if you give online or you give other places, may this, this passing the bag be a reminder that the Lord is your provider. And may you pray and ask that the Lord would use each and every dollar for his kingdom's sake. For his kingdom's sake. So you can just go ahead and start passing. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to pray, and that means you're going to have to kind of keep one eye open uh, to see if the bag is coming to be able to keep, to keep, to keep it passing. Uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to ask the Lord to bless each and every dollar that is entrusted here to this church that it would be utilized for the gospel to go forward in our lives, in the community's lives, in Thailand, in the many places that we have, that we have a part in mission with. So let's, let's go before the Lord together. Father, this morning we recognize that you have asked us to honor you, Lord, with our finances with the first fruits that you have given us. And you do promise that you will then provide. And we recognize that the way we might define how we want you to provide is not the definition. But we know that you provide. You provide all of our needs. You always have. You always will. So this morning, would you draw our hearts to you, to trust in you, to know that you will provide our daily needs. 
And Father, as we, as we give, would you also allow the message of Jesus to transform your saints here at Mercy Hill? Would you also allow the gospel and the message of you, Jesus, save and redeem those who have not heard of what you have done for them? So would you bless each and every dollar to be used in a way that brings you glory? And may you save, may you redeem, may you give to the needy, All because, Jesus, this is your heart. It is what you have come to do. It is what you have commissioned us to be about. So we ask that these dollars would go for your glory and your name's sake. In the name of Christ, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, kiddos, it is going to be that time for you to head on back to children's ministry. Have a blast. Have a blast learning about Jesus. What a joy we have with as many kiddos we have here. Well, church, you can open up your Bibles to Revelation as Ken comes up to bring God's Word this morning. morning. Well, can open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 13. If you're just joining us this morning, we are preaching through the book of Revelation and are up to the 13th chapter today. By the time Revelation 12 ends, the dragon is furious. He is breathing heavily. He is shouting in rage. Every muscle and sinew is tight with fierce energy. Many times his prize has been taken from him. Many times. His prize from him, the great dragon. He had tried to stop the birth and mission of the Messiah, but he had failed. He had gone to war in heaven against the angels with all of his demons, but he had failed. He had pursued the woman to destroy her, but he had failed. He had sent a river of lies from his mouth after the woman, but he had failed. Revelation 12 is the story of the dragon's failure over and over again. And chapter 12 ends with the verse, verse 17 saying, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now, if, if this is your first time here, we're, we're, we're in the middle of all this symbology. Let me catch you up, at least briefly. The dragon, as I'm sure is easy for us to wrap our minds around, is a picture of Satan. It's a picture of the enemy of the church. And this woman is a picture of the people of God from every age. Right? So, 
So the, the, the dragon is still angry with this woman. And he decides to go off and make war. Revelation 13 is the story of that war. It's the story of the war that the enemy seeks to bring to the church. It's the, it's the story of the devil's attempt to destroy the people of God. Revelation 13 is about today. About our day and time. It describes the enemy's efforts against God's people from the time that Christ ascended until the time that he returned. It's kind of a behind-the-scenes view of what's really happening in church history. What's really going on behind the scenes. It's not a pretty picture. The, the enemy employs two beasts in Revelation 13 to come after the church. But this is given, friends, so that we would not be ignorant of Satan's devices. So that we would not be unaware that we have an enemy who is after God's people and so that we may endure and trust in the Lord regardless of the fact that we have an enemy. So, with that in mind, let's read about the first beast. There are two beasts described that the dragon, Satan, brings forth to attack the church. And the first is in the first ten verses of Revelation 13. So follow along with me in God's Word. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. God's Word. The first beast who is this first beast we get a clue multiple clues in the text but we can look at verse two for example the beast that i saw was like a leopard its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth 
Now you may be familiar with the book of Daniel. We studied that as a church before we got to Revelation to kind of warm us up for the book of Revelation and interpreting this kind of literature together. The book of Daniel lists four beasts. And those beasts were these very animals that we read about here. There was the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then an animal so hideous as to be incomparable to an actual animal. Those were the four beasts of Daniel, and those four beasts in Daniel stood for the Babylonian, and then Persian, and then Greek, and then Roman Empire. So in Daniel, those beasts were power structures, the power structures of man, whereby God's people would be persecuted and harmed throughout the Old Testament. Well, here in the New Testament, we find those four beasts combined into one. Here in, in verse 2, we see these are all of Daniel's beasts all brought together into one fearsome power structure. This beast is the picture of empire. It is the picture of power. It's that Old Testament picture renewed as now the, the power structures of man at work. Military might. Government edict. Police enforcement. Because, as it says again in verse 2, the dragon gave to this beast his power and his throne and great authority. So if we wanted to have a name for this beast, I think that this is the beast of power. It's a beast of, of strength or might or force. Beast of power. Verse 7 says, It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That is to say, this beast uses force against God's people. The pressure of force. This, this includes every, every kind of force you could use against someone up into and including martyrdom. That's, what this, that's what's given into the hands of this beast. Martyrdom is the, the most severe end on the spectrum of force brought to bear against God's people in the hatred that the enemy has. But it's only one end of a spectrum. And the whole spectrum lies at the disposal of this beast. It is, it's all kinds of pressure that can be brought to bear on people. It is social pressure and political pressure and economic pressure and legal pressure and physical pressure brought to bear against God's people. This beast you have encountered, this beast. Time force or pressure is used against God's people to push them away from the Lord, to push them away from God. This beast is at work. So we, we can start at the small end, but still real. And you've been there and you know it's real. Small end of the spectrum. This beast is present in middle school locker rooms when one young man decides to not look at the pornography being passed around and is ostracized by everyone else. Pressure to disobey God. Present in the high school sports teams as one young lady refuses to listen or speak gossip and everybody else just kind of pushes her to the side. It's present and you felt it here too at work when there's one person that just won't bend the rules and make it easier on everyone else. Pressure mounts. Disobey God. 
go against His will, wouldn't it be easier? And we get to more overt kinds of pressure, only some of which do we see in our country. Very little, to be honest. But when Christian couples are not permitted to foster kids because of their biblical beliefs, this is pressure the enemy brings. It's excluding Christians from the marketplace in different countries around the world. It is mobs burning churches in the Sudan. It's outlawing Bibles and outlawing conversions and outlawing Christianity. It is Sharia law in Muslim countries. It's state-enforced atheism in communist countries. It's the requirement to worship the Kims in North Korea. This is the beast of power. He pushes and manipulates and coerces and seeks to destroy the faith of God's people. And this beast is at work everywhere under the sun. Verse 7, second half. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. The beast has international authority. Now, not in the sense of like a one world government thing like you've heard about. This isn't talking about a one world government thing. This is talking about a kind of universal power that works itself out through any government through any power structure this beast uses any man-made power structure for his cruel purposes to steal worship from god harm the church of god and he is about stealing worship verse four they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? You can hear the song of the unredeemed. The song of the sinners. Declaring, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? This is a blasphemous song. Exodus 15.11 gives the song of the redeemed. When God's people have been led out from Egypt, they come out and they make song unto the Lord and they say this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The song of the redeemed is, Who is like the Lord? The song of the world is, Who is like the beast? The beast steals worship, and on this planet, the beast wins. And I want to say this carefully, because we're going to look at it from an earthbound perspective. From an earthbound perspective, the beast wins. In a similar way, we might say, to if we had an earthbound perspective on the death of Christ, Satan won that day from an earthbound perspective. We know grand truths about that day, friends. We know that Satan lost that day. We know that sin was put away forever that day. That the wrath of God against our sin was absorbed by Christ and put away forever. Glory to God. But on that day, Christ was truly killed. His mouth was silenced. His work was stopped. And this beast gets that kind of dominion on this planet. 
all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. All who dwell on the earth. All who dwell there except those who belong to the Lamb. Everyone else worships the beast. He will get what he's after. And then in verse 7, he is even allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Conquer the saints. This is a picture of a powerless church, of a helpless church, of an imprisoned, mocked, derided, martyred church. Verse 10, amping it up even louder. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. This is talking about God's people on the receiving end of the war with this beast. Power of the beast is a terrible opponent of the church. We are told so that we may know, so that we could perceive and understand that behind 10,000 different ways that Christians have been and are opposed all over the globe, 10,000 different ways of using power against God's people. That behind all of those ways, maybe social pressure, economic pressure, physical pressure, behind that lies not just evil men, but an evil beast after the church of God making war on the saints. We are told so that we would know and so that we would endure. Verse 10b, the second half of verse 10, it tells us why this is written. We should pay attention when the text tells us why this is here. Here's why this is here. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is here that we may know the strategies of the enemy and endure despite them and trust our God despite them. This passage is a call to arms, a call to endurance, and a call to faith in our God. The church has an enemy, and that enemy is the beast of power. It has been given authority to wage war on the church. But it has its limits. Did you see some of the limits that are in here? Verse 7 Strange words for this powerful creature. It was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given it. Now on a certain level, authority was given to this beast by the dragon, by Satan himself. But there is none who has authority outside of the will of God. And this authority this authority given to the beast is given for a particular purpose with particular limitations for a particular time. The beast is simply allowed to do what it does and it can do nothing that it is not allowed to do. It is limited in its authority and it is limited in time. Verse 5. It was allowed to exercise authority for 40 months. This length of time, 42 months, we've seen it in Daniel. We see it over and over throughout Revelation. Sometimes it's said as 42 months. 
Sometimes it's said as three and a half years. Sometimes it's said as 1,260 days. All different ways of talking about the same thing. Every single time we see it, it's talking about a period of time when the church is being hunted. It is that period of time between Christ's ascension and His return. When His church is on the earth, witnessing unto Him and vulnerable to the beast. And so it is here for that distinct period of time. See, the period of time at which the beast gets to rule is known and limited and decided. We don't know how long. Only God knows. But God knows how long the beast gets to rule and reign here on planet Earth. God, in other words, is sovereign. We know that. But we need to know that in Revelation 13. God is sovereign even over this beast. It is God who has allowed the beast's authority. It is God who has set the boundaries on that authority and the boundaries on the time at which the beast can use it. In other words, the beast is in a cage. And God builds the cage. He has allowed its rule, and he will end the rule of the beast during that time. And by the way, during that time, God is still sovereign over the beast while the beast reigns. Verse 10. Hard verse. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword, he must be slain. What, what does this mean? What, is this, what does this verse mean? It means that God has already decided which of his people will have the privilege of suffering for him. God has already decided which of his people will have the privilege of being imprisoned for his name. God has already decided which of his people will have the glory of martyrdom for the name of Christ. Who has decided these things? God has decided these things. So who goes to captivity? Only those God has ordained. Who goes to be slain with the sword? Only those that God has ordained and empowers to do so. In other words, the beast can take no one of his own volition. He can take what the Lord has given him and no one else. Now you might think, Ken, this is kind of a cold comfort for those who are going to be martyred for their faith. Friend, it is no cold comfort to know that God is the one who ordains our lives. Not when God is the God of love. God is the God of faithfulness. God is the one who always, always, always works together for good those things in our lives. All things in our lives, He works together for good for those who love Him. Every single one, including the raging of this hideous beast. The beast is not choosing the martyrs. God in His wisdom sets them aside and empowers them for the road that they're called to walk. The beast operates in the cage of divine power. And here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. God is still God. 
so the beast rages. God is still God. The beast can do nothing in his anger that God has not already determined in his love. Let me say that again. The beast can do nothing in his anger that God has not already determined in his love, in his love for his people, in his care and faithfulness for his people. Not only that, friends, but what we see in the first half of Revelation 13 is God protecting his saints spiritually. Which of his saints are harmed spiritually? Which one falls away from the Lord because of the tyranny of this beast? Precisely none. Precisely none. We can see this back up in verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Oh, you want to see God's sovereignty on display? Let's go back before time. Before there was anything else. When God, before He said, let there be light, said, as it were, let there be a book before the foundations of the world. And He placed the names of His saints in that book. That book, by the way, is named after the one whose blood covers that book, the Lamb who was slain, who purchased every single one whose name is in that book. And God, who ordained before time those names to be in the book, who sent His Son to die for those who are in that book, who now gives His Spirit to those whose names are in that book, He's going to keep those people who are in that book come hell or high water. Come first beast or second beast. Because He is sovereign over all things. So here is a call for endurance and faith. Give our attention to the second beast. Second half of Revelation 13. I'm going to read again. You can follow along. Beginning in verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. If the first beast is called power, the second we may call prophet. 
The first was power, the, the power structures of man subverted by the enemy to the destruction of God's people. The second is a prophet for the first. Speak lies to get people to worship the first. Now, I can tell you this. Actually, later on in the book of Revelation, it, this second beast is called the false prophet. So it's, it's a good lens for us to, to look through as we encounter the beast here. So let, let's encounter it. Let's see what he looks like. First verse there, verse 11. Had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. Horns are always a picture of power. It's got power about it. Two horns. Kind of puts us back to that Old Testament idea of having two witnesses to, to show that something is trustworthy. So he had two horns of power. He has sufficient witness to the world to prove to them that they should be worshiping idols. His, he, he, will, he will be a sufficient false prophet. He will have the, the power to prophesy falsely and to deceive everyone. He has two horns, it says, like a lamb. Now, now, rams have horns. Two horns like a ram is what we were expecting here. Power. All of a sudden, it is like a, a lamb. Friends, there's only one lamb in the book of Revelation. This is the lamb who was slain, the living Christ, before whom all people bow, who has the name above every name. But this one bears some resemblance. There's something about this beast that to the eye looks pious, good, right, appropriate, looks holy to the deceit. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. As soon as it opens its mouth, it is the language of hell that comes out. And it speaks to deceive speaks to draw people away from the Lamb who was slain, away from the risen Christ, away from the living God, and to give worship unto the first beast. Verse 12 tells us exactly what he does. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast mortal wound was healed. The second beast doesn't come to gather worship to itself. It comes as a prophet of the first beast, proclaiming the greatness of the first beast, getting everyone to worship the first one. Verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. If you're familiar with your Bible, that should give some kind of back there memory. Going, okay, fire coming. Didn't that happen in the Old Testament? Yeah, that happened in the Old Testament when Elijah was going up against the prophets of Baal. The prophet of God against the false prophets. And the prophet of God calls down fire from heaven to consume the offering and the altar and God sends fire down upon the earth showing who is the one true and living God. But what Elijah, the true prophet, did in the Old Testament, this false prophet is able to do in the New. And he, he calls down fire from heaven. And he deceives many by it. And so idolatry spreads and false religion 
spreads. So to be clear, this beast is seeking to, how would you say this? This is the religious arm of the institution. Okay, The first beast is the, is the corporate structure, the state arm. This is the religious arm of this demonic institution. Seeking to coerce people into worship and seeking to deceive people into worship. This is the deceiver. And such deception he has. Verse 15. He first tells them to build an image. So they do. That's a picture of idolatry, right? But then it was allowed to give breath to the image. So that the image of the beast might even speak. Can you imagine going to a an idolater's temple and the idol speaking? Friend, do you not know that there is demonic power behind false religion? Do, do you not know? Or do we think so much like materialist Westerners that, that we think that tens of billions of people follow after lies with no spiritual impact? Oh, there is spiritual power in dark places. And this is that spiritual power. There is terrible power behind Islam. Terrible power behind Buddhism and Shintoism and animism and atheism and materialism. A demonic power that deceives many. The prophet of the beast proclaiming these ideas of worshiping anything other than the living God. And it works. Verse 16, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. It causes people of every class, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, People of every class on every corner of this world led astray into one false religion or another by this beast. And they will bear the mark of ownership of that beast. Verse 16 says, To be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast, the number of its name, this calls for wisdom. The one who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. This is the infamous mark of the beast. The infamous number 666. You may have heard very little about Revelation, but if you've heard something about Revelation, you've heard of the mark of the beast. When I was growing up, I had heard it had something to do with the tattoo don't have tattoos today or maybe implanted computer chips into people as a mark of the beast but friends this is a spiritual mark of ownership a satanic mark of ownership if it is a tattoo it is a spiritual tattoo a spiritual brand like a cattle gets branded it says this belongs to me says the dragon Its number is 666. Much debate 
has been had as to the nature of this particular number. And the Scripture itself says, warning us in advance, this calls for wisdom. Okay, Lord, give us wisdom. I will suggest with humility, because many much smarter than me have waded into these waters. But I will also say that I don't stand alone where I stand. Many smarter than me stand right here as well. Let me suggest what this number is about. I suggest that the number 666 is the ultimate mark of imperfection. Imperfection. The number 7 is the number of completion and perfection in Scripture. The number 6, then, is the, is the number of those that tried and didn't get there. Came up short. Didn't make it. The number of imperfection is listed three times. It is 666. And I think of holier times when that number is used. When Isaiah stands before the Lord and hears, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times. Or perhaps even closer to the significance. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect. Holy, holy, holy. But here in Revelation 13, we have the unholy trinity of dragon and beast and beast. And they are trying to do what belongs only to God. That is to receive the worship of all of creation. And they try and they try and they try, but for all of their trying, they simply get to imperfect, 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 unholy, 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 failure, failure, failure. That is what is stamped upon the people do not turn to serve the living God. Now the mark itself, regardless of the number, the mark itself is itself a kind of spiritual knockoff, a cheap imitation. You thought you're buying the real thing, but then it comes in the mail. You're like, oh, this ain't the real thing. So the, there's this word used here for mark. There's a mark that the beast puts on people. But if you were here and if you weren't, I'll just tell you, back in Revelation chapter 8, we learned of something else where God puts his seal upon his people. That's a different word in Greek that's used. God's seal that's upon his people, the enemy's mark that's upon his people. Now, here's the thing. Both of them communicate something of ownership. God owns his people for he's purchased them from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. The beast owns his people as well. But these two are not the same. The mark is simply a brand, a mark of ownership. The seal, while it communicates ownership, communicates something else as well. And that is protection. 
when something gets sealed, it is protected by the authority of the one who sealed it. And when God seals His people, He protects, He places His covering of protection over each and every one of His people. So, the beast puts His brand on people that will do nothing whatsoever to protect them. When the storm clouds of God's wrath gather, where will the people turn who have this mark of the beast that is no shield, it is no shelter, it is no umbrella in the day of God's wrath? For all that the cruel beast offers is his mark. No protection comes. What of God? Where will God's people go when the storm clouds of God's wrath gather? Friends, we have somewhere to go when the storm clouds of God's wrath gather. We will flee to the strong tower, to our strong defender, to our mighty fortress. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the Lamb who was slain for His people. And we are sealed with all of His authority. You know a detail in the story of Noah when, when God poured out his wrath on the earth? Noah went in the ark and God himself sealed the door. You know what that seal did? It kept the door shut. Which if you're facing a flood in a boat, that's a good thing. The seal of God kept the judgment of God out of that ark though all the earth flooded. Friends, the seal of God will keep the people of God though all the earth floods. Though these beasts do their worst, our God has sealed His people. And His seal is sufficient. So, friends, Revelation 13 is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Endure, dear saints. Endure, knowing there is a terrible beast at work, the beast of power. Knowing there is a second beast at work, the beast of false prophet. Knowing that behind the power structures that we see, behind the religious structures we see, there are terrible spiritual forces at work. Let us endure in looking unto God. Now's not a great time for apathy. You get the feel? From here. Not a great time. This isn't a napping kind of chapter, right? This is a zeal of endurance kind of chapter. A look to God with eyes of faith because we need Him kind of chapter. And our Lord knows those who are His. He has written our name in His book. Glory to God. Can you picture that for a moment? I know it's easy for you to hear about everybody else in the room. Do you, do you understand that the Lord has written your name in His book? I'm speaking to those who have repented and turned to Christ. If you haven't, you have no such hope apart from repentance. But if you have, dear friends, oh, to discover our name in that book. The beast of power and prophet can do nothing to reach up and erase a single name. We bear His seal. We can trust in Him. 
So it is a call, as it says, for endurance and faith. This is not faith in you. As though maybe you're sitting there right now going, whoa, these beasts are big. I'm not sure I can handle this. Let me just assure you, you can't. All right? Give up such strange notions. The faith here is not faith in you. It's faith in God. (laughs) This is meant to get your eyes off of you and up to the Lord who can sustain you. This is a call to faith in Him. So, let us have faith in Christ. Let us have faith in His person. Let's have faith in His work. Let's have faith in His word. Let's have faith in His promises. Let's have faith in His presence. The song of the sinner in this passage is Who is like the beast? The song of the saint. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? In a minute, we're going to sing that. Who is like the Lord our God? And while while the world around us is branded with this number of imperfections, imperfect, 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 we will sing together, glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. We will worship the one who is perfect and holy and who keeps his people. Worship team, come on up. Church, let's stand and pray together. So, Father, I pray that you would give your spirit to us again right now as you've already been so at work would would you right now enable us to get our eyes off ourselves and even our eyes off the beasts and look up to you afresh there's no faith without seeing you lord there's no endurance without seeing you so would you enable us with eyes of faith to behold you afresh now as we worship you receive the glory from your church amen
And Lord, we worship you as your people. In a world where there is warfare going on for worship, we gladly stand and proclaim the greatness of our God. You alone are worthy to be praised. Who is like you, our Lord and God? We worship you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude here in just a moment. I want to invite the prayer team to come up. And as we dismiss, if you have any particular needs or concerns, burdens on your heart, just invite you to come down and, and receive prayer uh, from one of these dear saints that I know would love to go before the throne of grace with you and to ask for, ask for answers from the Lord. I'm going to send us out with these words from the book of Jude that talk about God's ability to keep us. And indeed he can, despite all beasts, our God is greater. But before I read that, I want to remind you, we're going to enjoy lunch together. I hope you can stay. So uh, we're going to take about a 20-minute time to let parents go get your kids. And then parents, keep your kids from eating as the food gets put out. We've got enough food for everyone, all right? You can stick around. Bag lunches for you, bag lunches for the kids. At some point in about 20 minutes, Sean or I will get up here. We'll pray over the food. You can grab your bagged lunch. Come sit right in here where we get to hear from some missionaries, the Wimbemeyers, on their time in Thailand, and then to spend some time praying for them before they, they head back. This is their last Sunday, so we want to be sure to hear from them. So stick around. It's going to be a good time as we consider how God's Word is going forward into the land of the beast. Praise God for that. It's amazing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.